Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Because this is reality for a lot of us. The reason that we're talking about this series of rejected is because a lot of us have felt rejected in life, right? Like at some place, sometime or another, you felt rejected. And the thing is, when we feel rejected, uh, it's kind of like a duh statement, but it's because we don't feel accepted, right? That's the deep stuff you come to church for, right? When you feel rejected, it's because you weren't accepted. But this is the deal. Every single one of us is looking for acceptance. Like think back to middle school, high school. Think back to the lunchroom. Y'all, some of you know you've been there. Like you're walking around with your tray. You're trying to find a place to sit. You can't find it. You're not even trying to sit with the cool kids. You're trying to sit with any kids, right? Like you just don't want to be by yourself. You're wanting to be accepted. Go on a little bit later. You go to college. And some of you are middle school students. You're like, college is so far away. Some of you high school students, you're panicking because you think college is closer than it actually is. But say you're a junior, senior in high school. You're filling out information. You're trying to get into colleges. Your fingers crossed, hoping uh, they accept me. And then you get that letter and it's an acceptance letter. And you're so excited because you got it in the school. Or later in life, you get an internship, maybe a job, or, or maybe you ask somebody out, which you never think about this that way. But like, if you ask someone out, which some of you, y'all need to get some courage and just ask them out, but you ask somebody out and they say yes, they just accepted your invitation, right? But if you ask them out and they say, maybe, like that's a rejection, bro. Like, don't even worry about it. Like, they want to be kind to you, but just stop while you're ahead. Just walk away. It's okay, Right? But even later in life, like all of us, to a degree, I think we're all searching for acceptance. That's why some of us, we got big trucks, big, big wheels, because we want to be accepted, right? Or some of you, maybe your big truck isn't your thing. Maybe it's like the car you have, the house you drive, like the house you drive. You don't drive house unless you live motorhome. You know, you could, I don't know, boat, houseboat, whatever. The house you have, the area you live in, like, like for so many of us, the things that we do, the where you send your kids to cool school, where you go to school, it's all about being accepted by certain people because we fear rejection. But I also think we love rejection a little bit. Like, watch The Bachelor. Okay? Let's be real. Like, you don't love being rejected, but you love other people getting rejected. Because that show would not be on its like 20 something season if everyone got a rose at the end of every single week and everyone got married. That'd be a whole different show, right? You got five, 10, 12 wives. Now, let me tell you the truth. Uh, and I'm not trying to be like so boxed with this. I'm just going to be straight up with you. I think The Bachelor and The Bachelorette are kind of dumb shows. Because here's the deal here's the deal. You have someone who's attractive, talented, successful, and charming, and they can't get a date. Which, like, man, if they can't get a date, like, some of you, like, you might just, you'd be all right later, okay? But, so let's put them on TV with 12 people trying to chase them and then try to find love. And then every single season, I never watched a single episode of my life. I just see the commercials, and they all, like, ugly crying, like, I just thought I would find love here with him. Like, Colton, what's wrong with you? Like, you think these ladies are here for love? No, bro, they're here to get those Instagram follows, right? Like, they're here, they're here, they're not like, they're not here trying to find something true because what you're going to find there is not actual love, right? It can be entertaining for us. Again, we love to watch rejection happen, but we don't want to be rejected. Or you also watch shows like The Voice or American Idol, right? Like, if everyone was kind to the musicians and singers coming out all the time, the shows would not be as fun. Y'all remember Simon? 
We love Simon. Why? Because he told people how it is. We just love that. And it's fun to watch people in that situation, but it's not fun to be in that situation. See, I found myself in a situation like that, actually, when I was in high school. Uh, growing up, my church did this thing where it was basically like a talent show for Christian kids. Uh, they came together. It was a really good idea that they had, like, come in and try different things. Try singing, try speaking, uh, try doing drama, different things that you could use to serve, which I want students to be serving. We have an army of students who are serving, which is something we want to celebrate that's happening in our gathering, uh, which that would be a great time for you to clap for all the students that are serving, because here's the deal. Here's the deal. And I'll be straight up with you, too, and I'm probably a little bit biased. Like, that was a lame clap because you have middle school and high school students who are giving up their lives for kids younger than them. They're greeting people over here. And they, instead of walking away from the church, are taking responsibility for the church. And we are excited about that. Okay? So I'm here. I'm, I'm 17. I'm a, a senior in high school. I thought for the first time, I'm going to sing. I'm going to do a song on this talent show. Now, some of you know I cannot sing to save my life, but I practiced with my mom, and my mom said I was good. <laughs> Which, like, okay, like, in all fairness to my mom, she's still my mama, but she also, like, she did all sorts of singing. She did, I mean, like, through college, she did all choirs and all these things. Like, oh, okay, great. Mom thought I'm good. So I go, I'm going to sing, right? And I get up there, and what happened, though, is the day we were doing it, I was scheduled in the morning, and then some schedule thing happened, so I got scheduled the very last thing of the day. So what that meant is everyone else, like all over campus, people are doing stuff. So early in the morning, there'd be about 50 people in the room. Everything else is shut down except for my room. So then like 250 people are in the room at the very end of the day. And little 17-year-old Justin, who wasn't really that little, who's about this big, gets up there with his guitar and plays a song and sings and sits down. And honestly, like, I didn't think I was really good, but I didn't know anything about singing. So I'm like, I might not have been that bad. Until I read, like, the judges' comments, they weren't, like, American Idol, like, in your face. They, like, wrote stuff down and sent it to you later, because that's the best way to handle confrontation is write it down and send it to them later. <laughs> that's not, actually. If you're new to church, that's bad advice, okay? So I'm reading it, and I'm reading it with my youth leader, and they said, you were consistently out of key. <laughs> and my youth leader said, well, at least you were consistent. <laughs> like, that's something good. See, I cannot sing, and like, even in that moment, like, I felt rejected, but later it's okay, because now I'm a dad, and I got kids, so I got a guitar, and I play my kids' songs every now and again, like classic rock stuff, kids' songs stuff, we're having good, because they aren't old enough to know what's good or bad yet. So the other night, I'm singing my, my girls a song before bed, and my four-year-old Mayla goes, Daddy, Daddy, I think you need to sing a song on the stage at church. I was like, baby girl, you and Grandma are the only ones who think that. Thank you, though. This is why I do this, to help my ego. Because when you get rejected, it hurts your ego, right? Like, none of us like being rejected. It could be something big, it could be something small, but all of us, like, we will be rejected. And the problem is when we're rejected, a lot of times what we think is, because you don't approve of what I'm doing, you don't accept me, so you reject me. See, when I played this song, when I sang this song or tried to sing it, what happened was they evaluated and disapproved of my ability to sing. But that doesn't mean they rejected me. See, this is something we gotta, we gotta clear up real quick is there's a difference between approval and acceptance. See, acceptance means you are welcome here, you have a place here, you're a part of us, like you can be one of us, you can are totally welcome to be here, and we wanna be accepting to every kind of person imaginable. We wanna be welcome, I'm gonna tell you straight up, my hope is by the end of our time today, you will understand that Jesus, that God accepts you based on nothing you do and only because he is good. But approval is different. 
See, because approval means that I agree with you, I consent to what you're doing. And there are situations in life for all of us where because I accept you, because I love you, I cannot approve of what you're doing. And it doesn't mean I reject you. But what we do is we get things twisted and we either say one of two things. We either say, in order for me to accept you, I have to approve of everything you do, which can be manipulative and is dysfunctional and is wrong. Or we can be on the other side and say, in order for you to say you accept me, you have to approve everything I do which is just as manipulative and dysfunctional and wrong. And this is where we as a church, as a body of believers, as a gathering following Jesus who's accepted us completely, we have to be accepting of people around us. Like because he's accepted me, I have to accept other people. And we accept people because they have value. See, God has placed his image on us. Every person is inherently valuable because they have God's image. And as a church, we accept people because they have value, not because they add value. Because the truth is, a lot of us, like, we add a whole lot less value than we think we add. And if we're starting to have a club where you get in because you can give financially, you get in because you're talented at something, you give in because we like you, you we get, like, and you're not welcome because of whatever, like, that's a real messed up place. And for some of us, that's where we felt that, honestly, in the church sometimes. You come in and you feel rejected and you feel like, man, like because of the things I'm doing, people don't want me here. And what I hope you don't understand is Jesus says, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you are welcome here. And even to help you see this, like we've all had that friend that we love and they get their new boo and they are all about them. But you can see, like, I don't think they're that good for you. Right? And it's all like, man, she's so great. And she, oh, dude, she's awesome. And you're like, all your friends are looking around going, dude, like, I don't think, when you say awesome, I don't think you mean the same thing when we say awesome. Because she's not. Or he's so great and he's so kind. He's so, yeah, but do you see what he's like when you're not around? And you can see things they don't see. And you would say to that friend, because I love you, I don't care about any of your choices, right? No, if you're a true friend, you'd say, because I love you, I need to talk to you because this thing you're doing, I don't approve of, not because I'm the judge, but because I love you and I'm looking at a different standard that you're looking at right now. I'm helping you see a whole picture of something. So for all of us, like we got to remember Jesus accepts us no matter what. I'm going to tell you a story to help you understand that because Jesus told so many stories to help us understand that. See, I'm convinced if you look through the teaching of Jesus, his primary message was redemption, not condemnation. He came in telling us of the good news because we understood the bad news. None of us needs a refresher on bad news, right? Like, you know, even as a kid, you hide stuff when you know you shouldn't do something. Like our four-year-old right now, if she's going to tell her sister what something that she shouldn't do, she whispers, hey, talk about poop and underwear. Like, girl, you are not being a good big sister right now. She's trying to hide it from mom and dad. So what we do is we try to hide so many things because we know the bad news. We got judgment down. We understand it. But grace, love, acceptance, like we don't get that. That's why Jesus came and he came again and again. He told story after story to help us understand grace and acceptance and love. And Luke, one of Jesus' followers, records three different stories about Jesus talking about grace, acceptance, and love in uh, his account of Jesus' life. In Luke 15, he goes on to record three stories Jesus taught. These are parables, which means that it's a fake story to illustrate a true point. So this is not a real thing, but Jesus is telling this story to help us see something real. He starts, he talks about when you lose a sheep or a lamb, and you go out and you'd search for it all over the place. And honestly, for a lot of us in here, like, you don't have 
sheep or lambs or whatever they're called. Like you don't have livestock running around, so that doesn't connect with you. Then Jesus goes and he says, actually, think about it. It's like this one. If you lose some money, you go looking all over the place for it. How many of you have looked at your bank account and thought, man, I lost me some money. And what do you do? You go through all your bank account. We were doing that two months ago, looking through a whole bank account. Like, where did it all go? Like, oh, it all went. Okay, Starbucks. That's where it all went. We found it. Let's go back to Starbucks and see if it's there waiting for us. And it's not. And then he goes in the third store, and this is the most powerful story. And I think it's important to know this is a truly emotional story. And Jesus is telling us this story not to manipulate us, but to show us and help us engage our emotions in this idea that God accepts us and loves us. If you look back at the very beginning of the passage, it actually talks about who Jesus is talking to, and that's important. He's talking to sinners and tax collectors. These are people who, in Jesus' day, had been rejected by the religious establishment, had been rejected by the people who claimed to be the most devout, the closest people to God. They rejected these people. So they're sitting around listening to this new rabbi, listening to this Jesus guy, going, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about God the Father. This is different. He speaks with a different authority than other people. Like, we want to sit around and listen to what he's telling us because it's something new. Because they were sure what the the church, if you will, with the synagogues, with the religious establishment, they were sure what they felt about them. They knew they were rejected there, but what about Jesus? That's where some of us are today. You're trying to figure out, through asking all kinds of questions, you're showing up, is Jesus accepting or rejecting of me? And what I want to tell you again, my hope is that you don't understand, he accepts you in an incredible way. Jesus starts this parable like this. He continues, he says, there was a man who had two sons, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Basically, he's telling his dad, I don't need you, dad. I'm good. I just want my inheritance right now. I'm supposed to get that when you're dead. Uh, so some people would even say, this is like a, dad, I wish you were dead. I just want your stuff. He gets his stuff. And then not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, can we just take a second and think about this? Like, if you're a parent, don't you know your kids? Like, you know your kids, whether they're, they're, you know, four, three, and eight months, like my kids, or they're 14, 13, or they're 24, or they're 34. Like, like you know your kids. And you know there are kids, even this past two weeks, we were on spring break, and there's some kids that you, you're around them, and you're thinking, oh, man, we're going to go family vacations on spring break until you're 45, because I'm worried what you're going to do in your 20s, Right? Like some of you, you don't question or worry about what your kids are doing on spring break because you kind of already know them and you're just thinking like, please, Jesus, bring them home safe. Because you know your kids. The same thing is true of this story. Don't you think this dad knew his son? Like, do you think he was surprised? First of all, he probably wasn't even surprised that he asked for the money. But do you think he was surprised that he took everything and left? Like the dad wasn't sitting there going, man, I just hope he invested in a good Roth IRA. No, he's sitting there going, I'm going to pray for him all the time because I know what he's about to go do is going to be dangerous and foolish and stupid. So the guy is far away. He's living it up. Life is good. He's got the corner booth at the club. He's buying shots for everybody. Things are good. The ladies love the dude because he got money. He has the nicest clothes. He's walking around like he got an entourage. Like life is good because I got all this money. Everyone loves me. Everyone loves me. Everyone loves me. And then reality hits him in verse 14. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. But he had so much money. He had all the stuff we needed. 
The problem is he took the provisions and walked away from the provider. And then when reality said, and he thought the stuff would be enough, and like, I can hold on to this, the reality is you're away from the provider. It means it doesn't matter how much provisions you bring with you. You're going to run out. This is the truth for a lot of us. What we've done is God has blessed us. God has given us the ability to make money, to make music, to make whatever it is you're making, whatever you're doing, and you're taking that provision. Be careful you don't walk away from the provider. You stay close to where he's at. You continue serving. You continue loving because the Father has love, and you're going to see this. So what happens? In verse 15, it says, He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to work in his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And this guy was on top of the world. Like, life is great. He has all this freedom. Everything, all the bad stuff my dad kept me away from, told me I shouldn't do, my dad was wrong about all that stuff. Like, my dad was, like, he obviously doesn't know how good drugs are because they are so good. He doesn't know how good alcohol is to the point of being drunk. He obviously doesn't know how good it is to be with multiple women. Like, my dad is so dumb, he doesn't know. Here's the reality of what we got to teach our kids. Foolish and sinful things are fun for a season, but like all seasons, they end in death. Now, here's the truth. And some of you, you're in the fun season. And you're like, man, like, here's the reality, too. Sex is fun. Getting high is fun. Getting drunk is fun. But it's going to lead to death. And some of us have lived enough life to go, yeah, I've been there. I've seen it lead to death. So he willingly makes himself a slave to someone other country. While he, before he was eating like the filet mignon, he was eating anything he wanted. Now he's wanting the pig food. Have you all been around pigs? Have you seen what pigs eat? Let me show you real quick. I got some over here, actually. I'm gonna, I was going to open this up and start passing out like communion, but y'all don't want that. So this would be, in our country, this is what people would feed their pigs, right? You got scraps in here. We got sandwich crusts because we have toddlers. You have orange peels, eggshells, coffee grounds, all sorts of stuff. Now, how many of you would say, you know what? My lunch plans just changed. I'm going to come up here and get me a whole bucket of that. Like, nobody wants this trash, right? It's garbage. You don't want it. You put it out in a barrel to turn into fertilizer so it can actually feed other things. Like, nobody would want this. But here's the reality. That guy wanted this. Like, how far did he fall to want this instead of what he was having? And then he comes to his senses... And coming to a sense of it just means like coming back. He's going from a, where he's at emotionally and coming back to a place of logically thinking about his dad. And he goes on, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Like I think in a way what he's saying is, how did I get to where I'm at? Like how in the world did I get here? Like, things were so good for so long, and then somehow I woke up, and instantly I'm with the pigs, fighting pigs for food. And this is the reality. I've heard this growing up, and I was like, is that really true? And again, I think I've lived enough life now to tell you this is true, and you can ask people around you, this is the reality. Is sin will take you further than you want to go. It's going to cost you more than you want to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. This guy willingly went to the far country to live a wild life far away from anyone who knew him so he wouldn't have any conscience or consequence for his actions, or so he thought. And because he willingly went, he chose to go to that faraway country, now he chose to be a slave in that country. 
Some of us were living in a faraway country and you don't think the slavery is coming, but I can tell you, I think it's coming. And it's going to cost you everything. And some of us in this room, we've felt that question creep into our minds of how in the world did I get to where I'm at? Like, how did I get to this place? This was fun and now it's bondage. I felt that. So I was about uh, seven years old the first time I saw pornography. I could take you right back to the very spot where it was. My parents lived, 22 Brown Street, Putnam, Connecticut. It was catty quarter, back neighbor's house was empty. It was vacant, and there was a shed back there that was empty. My neighbor from across the street over here, Corey, grabbed one of his dad's magazines and brought it over there and hit it, came and got me and my brothers and wanted to show us what it is. I could take you, literally, I could take you to the exact spot, and I could tell you exactly what we looked at. And in that moment, as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, what happened is part of my innocence was taken away from me, and what was put in place was a hook from Satan to pull, pull me towards that pornography addiction for the next two decades of my life. And through various seasons of life, this bondage would come up and be strong in my life, and the hold, the chokehold that I would have would be more dominant. Other times it would loosen. And in high school, I remember interacting back and forth with pornography and, and feeling like this addiction and feeling shame. But what I would do, because I seeked approval and I seeked acceptance, what I would do is I just cover everything up. And for a lot of us, that's what you do. You either try to measure up where you want everyone to think you're perfect and you got everything going on and you are so terrified to let anybody down or you simply just cover everything up. And you want to be great uh, on a stage, you want to be great up in front of people, but what you keep secret is the thing that's truly going to have power over your life, not just what people see. So through high school, it was a dominating back and forth. It actually began to manifest itself in relationships with girls. I had this sexual addiction, the sexual sin of, okay, I don't need pornography because I have this, I have that. Not people, objects that I can use and exploit. And then later in college, I uh, had it, it continue to be a struggle, a bondage, a dominating sin. And I believed the lie that once I got married, everything would stop. Because once you're married, you have sex all the time. Y'all are laughing. You don't have sex all the time? I mean, y'all are doing something wrong then. But here's the reality. This is something you have to know, whether you are someone who is struggling with sexual sin or someone who is married to someone struggling with sexual sin, is that pure sex, pure intimacy cannot satisfy impure desires. It is impossible. It cannot do it. And you will feel like, I am not good enough for them, so they're going out to something else. But the reality is, no, it's because you are good, they're trying to go out for something else. Because they want, what they want is not sex. They want something that is forbidden. You could be offering them a delicious meal at home, but they just want this. And as good as your meal is, they want this. And you cannot compete with this. Because their heart is bent and broken and towards something else. And I remember about five months into our marriage, this, this beast came back into my life. And I had a measure of grace where I, on the ride home from uh, Vermont, we were at a church in Vermont. I was speaking there. We were on our way home to upstate New York. We are driving at about an hour drive. And I just felt like I just got to talk to my wife about this. So I held her hand. And I said, baby, I got to talk to you about something. I just ex exposed this whole thing and talked with her about it. And I can tell you, my wife, <laughs> I almost cried last time too, my wife is the better picture of Jesus in our marriage. You are beautiful. I love you. Thank you so much. She gives me so much grace, and she fought so hard with me.
so I told her everything, and I thought, okay, this is good. We're getting this in the light, and like it's going to be okay, and it wasn't. A few years later, uh, it came up again, and I actually changed my job. It was really flexible because I could work at home a lot of days during the week. And through that flexibility and my inability to say no to things in my heart, it continued to be a bondage, continued to be an enslaving thing for me. And I remember standing in our living room and talking to my wife and telling her again, yes, it's here. And she just said in the most gracious way, something just has to change. Like, I don't know what, but something has to change. So I called my pastor, Jeff. I went to his office that day. I brought my iPad with me because that was the tool that I was using to access everything that I wanted. And I brought with him. I just sat down in his couch and I said, Jeff, I need help. He said, what's going on? I explained stuff to him. He goes, okay, we're going to help you, man. I I got love for you. Jesus has so much love for you. He didn't bring a message of condemnation because I already knew I was condemned because of what I was doing. He brought a message of hope that things can get better. And if you're stuck in whatever kind of addiction, whatever kind of bondage, the hope is that through Jesus, things can get better. Because he is stronger than anything you can be in bondage to. And what happened for the next several months, I want to tell you this because I think this is important for some of you. Because some of you, you, you say you want to be different, but you won't do anything different. And my wife said, we're going to fight this together. That is so important. My wife fought this with me, and this is how it looked for us. I gave my iPad to my pastor, Jeff. He just kept it in his desk office. I said, dude, you could have it if you want. He's like, I don't want your iPad. You'll get this back sometime. He's always promoting truth, always promoting hope. Sometime you'll be strong enough. You'll be walking the truth of Jesus enough that you'll be able to handle this back. I didn't have a smartphone for months and months and months. Like it was embarrassing, but the reality is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So there's some situation in life where you have to humble yourself. My wife even, this is embarrassing. My wife even, there's a point for several months, she would unplug our wireless router and take the power cord with her to work when I was home alone because I didn't have the ability to say no, so I needed to take the opportunity to say yes completely out of my hands. Now this is stories, and we have so many people, I could tell you so many stories, of when you want to change, when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you say, something has to change. I'm tired of eating this. Like something has to change. And you got to fight for it. But also, if you're married to someone, you're walking through this with someone, you're in a community group with someone that's struggling through addiction, any kind of addiction, you fight with them, not against them. And this is the truth. I want to tell you three things quick about this, and we're going to move on, because this message is not about sexual addiction, although totally we could preach a whole series about that. But three things I want to tell you real quick. First, protect your children. Average age for someone viewing pornography is about seven years old. Protect your kids. Scripture teaches that the enemy, Satan, is a roaring lion seeking someone they can, he can devour. And he's devouring our children because we're lighthearted about this. And we think, oh, it's just a phase. It's just what middle school boys or girls do. You have no idea the impact it could have on your kids. Protect your kids. The second thing would be if you are struggling through a sexual addiction, no matter what it is, Come find grace. Come find hope. Come find truth. Come find everything you need at the feet of Jesus. We will walk with you through this. We will fight with you through this. If you're married to someone struggling through this, you come as well. We want to walk and have grace with you as well because you are angry. You are embarrassed. You are shamed. And we want to say there is no shame at the cross of Jesus. 
There is no, nothing that God is going to do through you, and there's nothing that you're going to feel that's going to break you to the point of saying, I can't do this anymore because Jesus is giving you the power to say, I can do this through him. And the truth is, anger and bitterness can destroy a marriage just as much as a sexual addiction. Now, it's not your fault. Don't feel like it's your fault. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is you have a choice now how you can handle this. You have a choice how you can respond, and we know that responding in the right way that honors God is difficult, so we want to walk with you through this. And the third thing I'd say real quickly is if you're walking through this and you're saying, you're, you know, I don't think it's that big deal, you're part of the, the 66% of men who view pornography on a monthly basis, and you say, oh, this is not a big deal, it's just a small thing. Pornography, sexual addiction is like fire. And fire does not know the difference between burning what it should burn, like brush, and burning flesh. I can tell you the truth. This past week on Friday, I literally, I almost lit myself on fire, burning brush with gasoline, singed arm hair. My wife came out. What happened? Just fire came out. Here's the deal. You think it's okay? Fire will destroy. It might not destroy right now. You might be in the fun season where it's not all that bad, but like all seasons, it will end in death and fire will destroy everything. It doesn't know what relationships are worth saving or not. It doesn't know what finances are worth saving or not. It doesn't know what job is worth saving or not. It will destroy. So the son comes back to his senses. He goes, man, my dad's servants have it better than I do, way better than I do. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go back. So he tells himself in verse 18, I'm going to step back. I'm going to go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I tell his dad, I've blown it. I am not worthy of your relationship anymore. Call me one of your servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and was filled with, what's the word right here? Not condemnation. Not questions. Not, okay, so tell me exactly, exactly how did you spend the money? He was filled with one thing. He was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He was active. He wasn't waiting for him to get on the porch, to have the walk of shame, to get all the way. He ran to him, threw his arms around him, and began kissing him. And then the son says to him, Dad, I've blown it. Dad, I have ruined everything. Dad, everything's gone. Against heaven and earth I have sinned, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The son goes immediately into his rehearsed apology because I don't think he believes the acceptance he's getting from his dad. And the dad is hugging him and kissing him and accepting him and saying, you are so welcome here. Of course I don't approve of all that stuff. All that stuff was going to destroy you. Why would I approve of that? I love you, so I can't do that. But I accept you no matter what you do. So you come here. I'm going to love. I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to welcome you home. And he goes into his rehearsed apology because he's thinking this is way too good to be true. Dad, if you knew what I did, you wouldn't be accepting me right now. The reality is that God's acceptance, and God is the Father in this story, His acceptance is not based on your actions or your character. It's based on His actions and His character. And for some of us, you feel like, I've gone too far. I've done too much. I've experienced this thing like, I am no longer worthy to be a child of God, to be members of God's household. And God is saying, it never was about you being good enough. And then the dad said, 
I think the first thing he said was, I told you so. But he didn't say, I told you so to the son. I think he said, I told you so to all the servants around him. He said, I told you so. See, you, oh, right there, yeah, you didn't think he was coming back, and look, he's back. You see my boy right here? Yeah, he's kind of a mess right now, but that's okay. He's home. We don't worry about that. I told you so. Remember you said he'd never, he's back here. You remember you thought you should get rid of his room? No, no way. We're not making that into anything. He is here. Like, I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. Y'all can suck it because my son is home. We're going to have a party now, right? Because this is the reality. This is reality. I haven't, I haven't experienced this until recently where you know someone that can't find their kid and not just for a few hours, but like they do not care at all about anything until their kid is home. And they don't come in and if they're a loving parent, a kind parent, a parent that has grace, honestly, just about any parent, you're not asking a lot of questions the moment they walk through the door. You're just pulling them close. You're hugging them and just squeezing them so tight and say, I'm so glad you're home. And then the father goes on and he says, quick, hustle up, let's go. Bring the best robe, not the goodwill robe, not the stuff we're about to give away, not the one we use for feeding the animals. No, bring the best robe. We're not shorting on any expense or anything for my son. Put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. That's a calf that they were saving for a massive celebration. You bring that. Let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead in his life. He was lost and he was found. So they began to celebrate. They threw a party. He didn't have time to ask any questions because he didn't care about the answers. Here's really, as you look at this story, think about this real quick. When did the father forgive the son? Some of us would say it's when the son came back home, he forgave him. I think that's wrong. I think the father forgave the son when he gave him the money and the son ran off. He said, I know what you're going to do because I know my kids. I know you're going to do all sorts of stupid stuff, any kind of way you can do I know, because you're my kid. I love you, but you're kind of dumb, and you're going to do dumb things. I'm forgiving you right now before you do all the bad things. But also, what did the son have to do to receive his father's acceptance? He simply had to come home. For some of you, even today, this is your homecoming. Y'all got to come home. You're worried that God is angry with you, that God is filled with condemnation when instead he's filled with compassion. See, Jesus died for you while you were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God. When we were enslaved to a distant country, God died for us. That's the way he showed his love for us. If he showed his love for us before you were ever born, then how are you going to change how he feels by how you live? The reality is it's not about you. God's acceptance is about him. And we got to listen to what he says, because you think about this son for a minute. I'm back here. I'm all dirty. I can tell you, if you're going to go to a party, you're not walking in after working all day long and being nasty and disgusting, are you? You're getting cleaned up. You're getting showered up. I don't think this dude had any time to get cleaned up and showered up. He comes in, he has his nice robe, he got the ring, he got the sandals, he's walking in all dirty, and he could be self-conscious because of all the people at the party looking around going, oh, look how dirty he is, he's back. But he wasn't going to listen to the people at the party, he only cared about the person throwing the party. And some of you need to understand, you don't care about the people at the party at church, you listen to the person throwing the party, it's Jesus, what he has said about you. But then... But then real life sets in, you check this out, the older brother comes home. 
He comes in, and he comes in from the field, and when he was near the house, he heard the music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Interesting, he went to a servant, not his father, to figure out what's going on. Goes to the servant, and the servant says, your father, your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf for him, and he's back safe and sound, and the older brother became angry and refused to go in. You know, if you've got siblings, you know this is real life right here. Right? You're always trying to figure out who the favorite is. You're always comparing stuff. You're always trying to say, okay, okay, your mom does love them more than me. The problem is I think he was angry, and we're going to see this in a second. He was angry because he thought his father's acceptance was based on what he did. So he had a hard time giving people or offering acceptance because he had a hard time receiving acceptance. So then he goes on, his father, this is so beautiful, his father goes out to him and pleads with him. His father goes out and is talking with him. The father is always active and going and getting his kids. He doesn't wait for them to come to him. And he goes and he talks with him, and he's pleading with him, he's talking, and think about what he's telling him. He's telling him things like, remember when we thought your brother was dead? Remember when we'd stay up? You don't know because you went to bed, but as a dad, I'd stay up all night some nights, terrified that I was going to get news that he was dead. Remember the times that we had things we celebrated, that we loved life? It was so incredible that we had this massive harvest. We had this party or celebration, and the seat where your brother would have been sitting was filled by somebody else, and I felt that, and you felt that. The times we went through difficult things, and it was hard for us, and we just cried out to God, and we wished that he was there to be with us because families bond through difficulty. Remember all those things? and the older brother simply just goes on a little rant answers that look all these years I've been a slave for you all these years I've done this stuff for you I've never disobeyed your orders and you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends dad I did everything right Where's my love? Where's my party? And God, Dad, like now this son of yours comes home after taking half the inheritance and totally throwing it away to prostitutes, and he gives it to anybody and everybody he's lived. Like, Dad, do you know what he spent your money on? And he comes home and you're throwing him a party? You gotta be kidding me, Dad. Why are you so naive? And the father's going, oh boy, you, I am not naive. I knew your brother would do this stuff. I also knew you were going to react like this. Because I know my kids. And this is where the father, in the most gracious, lovingly way, answers back to him. He says, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. See, what happens when we compare to somebody else is we devalue what we had. This guy literally had everything, and he was upset about one cow. So everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate. Not just I wanted to, we had to celebrate. Why? Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he was found. Like, do you get that? The reality of this story is this story is not about the son. It's about the dad. 
It's the dad who loved his kids no matter what. Whether you're the son, and sometimes we're all different one of the sons, right? Like no matter if you're the son who goes off and spends money and is foolish and stupid and sinful, or you're the one who's bitter and proud and angry, doesn't matter who you are, God says, I always have love for you. And this is the message we got to get into our hearts and we got to get into our houses. This is what I try to teach my kids. Now, before you think I'm some, like, great dad up here, like, real quick story, like, two weeks ago, I was sitting on the couch reading the story to my girls, my arms up like this, and our three-year-old Lucy's playing, and she bit me right there. And I did not say, praise Jesus. I said, what the heck is wrong with you? And they both, like, fell down like scared goats and started crying. Because I'm not angry. It just hurt. Like, I still got teeth marks. But if I could get one thing, man, there's like a short list of things if I could get right. If I could get this one thing right, this is what it would be. When I discipline my kids and I bring them in and we, we spank our kids, we give them time out because here's the reality. Either I will spank my kids or life is going to spank them. And this is not some like go back to 19 whatever and do whatever. Like, no, no, this is just reality. It is a wise thing to teach my kids that like, disobedience has consequences. Choosing what you want over what you're supposed to have has consequences. But when we discipline them, this is what I do. I bring them close to me, even while they're crying, because I want them to understand. And when you're crying, you're hurt. You don't have to be far from dad. You can come right here. And I hold them, and they're crying. I say, okay, you're, like, you're done crying now. Wipe your tears. And I look at them. I say, how much love do I have for you? And they stretch their arms out real big like this. Except for Mela. Sometimes she's a punk, and she's like, this much. I'm like, get that out of here, Mela. Shut your arms out way big. I bring him my big hug. I said, I have a big daddy heart, and with my whole heart, I love you no matter what. Even when you kicked your sister, even when you disobeyed mom, even when you did that thing to me, even when you wouldn't listen to me, I love you no matter what. And I tell you that not because I'm an average or okay dad, but because I got an incredible heavenly father that tells me that. So I got to tell you that. Here's the reality every single person is someone's kid. And if my father says he loves me no matter what, I got to tell every kid out there, God loves you no matter what. And I tell you that because that's what God told me. It's not original with me. It's original with him. I just take it and try to give it to other people. And you might be even curious, like, okay, how good is the father really? Like, how good is God? Because this sounds different than what I've heard. I want to give you a glimpse of how good God is. This is Paul, a guy who wrote this about God, about Jesus in Romans chapter 5, which if Paul had issue to wonder if he would be accepted or rejected by God, he, I mean, if he had any question, he, I mean, he had a lot of stuff that he should have been rejected and said he was accepted. This is what he said. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, God showed his love. For who? For us. Not for them. Not for the people who think they got it all together. Not for the morally correct. No, God died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still walking away from God, while we were still enslaved in the foreign country of our own desires, our own authority, Christ died for us. 
But if you go on, Jesus actually said this himself. John recorded this, and this is where it's so important to understand where you fall with God because you're not simply a slave, you are a son. Jesus replies, truly, truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, I can tell you, and you've been there, you don't want to do it anymore. You're tired of whatever it is. Even in the moment, you go, I really want this, and then you engage, and then afterwards you're disgusted with yourself. So how do I keep coming back to this? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But when you are a slave to sin, you have to understand a slave has no permanent place for the family. But a son, a son belongs to it forever. For if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus has already give us, given us the freedom. We just need to walk in it. But here's the reality. James actually goes on and he explains to us in the end of his letter to the church that we need to confess our sins one to another so we can receive healing. Can I tell you what? When I was going through my porn addiction, I wish I could have just kept it between me and God. I didn't want anybody else to know because if they know about this, they're going to think less of me. You're not as impressive as you think you are. And this is where for so many of us, you got to get your butt in a community group. Like, we have over 100 opportunities for you to join a community group. It's not something we're just going to play church. Like, this is vital to your life. Get in a group and get honest with your group. Some of you have been in groups for years, and you're just, like, sitting around, oh, yeah, how was your week? My week was good. You're not going deeper at all. That's not what we're talking about community group. We're talking about community groups to the place where you can bear your soul to people and receive healing. That's what James is talking about. That's the kind of groups you need to get into where you can humble yourself before other people and receive healing. And then Paul says this in a way that's so powerful because for a lot of us, you can understand these things and still have moments of darkness where you say, the dark creeps in and I don't feel like I'm God's child. I don't feel worthy enough to be God's child. And I understand you're telling me this is the truth, but I don't really believe it right now if I'm being honest. This is something Paul again said, which I think is so powerful. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to fear, the fear of God's judgment, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, the spirit producing sonship, by which we joyfully cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies and confirms together with our spirit, assuring us that we believers are children of God, so when you don't feel like it, his spirit is going to come and tell you, stop believing the lies, believe the truth. I've already demonstrated my love for you. You just have to look and see. And even if you don't want to look and see, I'm still going to come and tell you the truth and remind you of the truth that you are God's child, even when you feel like you're too far. Especially when you feel like you're too far. Here's the reality I know for so many of us. You hear this message, you hear this truth, and you say, okay, so God loves me and God accepts me no matter what. The problem is I don't know if the church does. Like you talk about this, getting in community, you talk about being with people and burying my soul, but I've never been a part of a gathering of people who've done that, and I'm kind of scared. 
And this is the way we talk about it in our core values as a gathering. We say that we are welcoming and accessible to every person imaginable. That doesn't matter who you are, what your thing is, what your story is. We are welcoming and accessible to you, not because we are that good, but because God is that good. And some of you, you're still skeptical of that. And you're like, is this really true? Like, would you really be like, is this really a safe place to bear my soul? See, it's easy for me to stand up here and talk about it because I'm passionate about it. But instead, what I'd love to do is I'd love to show you that we are. Could you all stand to your feet as we close? Now, here's what I want to ask all over the house. As we talk about this, being welcome and accessible to every type of person, every person imaginable. doesn't matter what your thing is. It doesn't matter who you are. And for some of you, you're curious, are you really welcoming? And for others of us, others of us we want to answer that with a yes. So what we're going to do is, if you are part of CC and you're like, I want to be part of creating a place that tears away every unnecessary barrier to the gospel and that shows people that I love them and accept them no matter what that thing is. I want to demonstrate and show people that's me. Would you come up to the front right now? You can come right up to the front. You can say, I want to be part of a gathering that shows people we are accepting to any kind of person imaginable. You can come right up here. We don't do this type of thing very often, and that's okay. You can come right up here. You can right up here in the front, and you say, we want to show people in the room. We also want to show people with our lives. We are welcoming to every kind of person imaginable. If you need space, you can keep coming in here to the middle. You can keep coming here to the middle. Let me tell you what. You think you're too far gone. You think you, no one else can connect with you. I can tell you, as you share the hope of Jesus, people will connect with you. And you might feel like, my story's too far gone. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't know if I really can. I can tell you the truth. When you get with people and you start sharing, man, it is powerful how people connect. And you sharing your story will give someone courage to do the same. I didn't plan it this way. It just haven't worked out. My boy Brandon's right here. Brandon shared a story a few months ago on a video we had, and he brought up a porn addiction, and he brought up fighting through that. And him sharing that story gave me courage to share my story. We are a body of people working together. And the thing that you're nervous about sharing, the thing that you're scared about receiving rejection over could be the very thing that God uses to increase his kingdom, to change people's lives. So if you're wondering if we're an accepting place, we got all these people saying we'll be accepting. Come find us at the tables for group playing. Come connect with people. Come ask questions. Interact with us. We understand faith is a journey, and we want to journey with you on that. Would you all pray with me as we close? God, thank you so much. God, thank you for being good. God, thank you for caring for us. God, for being there no matter what. I just pray that we could be the type of gathering that is there for people no matter what. God, that we could show your incredible grace and love. And God, we could answer the question that, yes, you are for everyone. And we could just build your kingdom here. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.